Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Dave. What is going on with yourself today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast? Feeling pretty rock and roll today, Dave. How are you doing? You are? Wow. Well, because, you know, we're looking at 1987. That was prime rock and roll time, right? Yeah, and prime rock and roll time, and we're talking to another rock and roller today. Fan of rock and roll, I should say. Would you call Karen Glauber a rock and roller? I don't know if Karen Glauber would call herself a rock and roller. Okay, just maybe a music fan. Come on. She likes Todd Rundgren. <laughs> yes. She's a music fan. First of all. She's a music fan. Yes. But uh, she, likes the, she likes the rock and roll, I think. It she seems li- to me. And we should say that Karen Glauber is the president of Hits Magazine. Hits Magazine is a trade publication for radio and records. And they give you all the ins and outs. And Karen is the president Madam President Karen Glauber was with us today. So that's super exciting. She was just starting out in 87, coming to LA from A&M Records. So she's got stories galore and she's going to share them with us. But before she shares them with us, Holly's going to share us some social media information. I am going to share with you that you will find us on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast and on other social media at WDDIM Podcast. And we will post clips from with Karen and some of our other past guests. So check it out. I agree. Yeah. You can also check out the website, WDDIMpodcast.com, which stands for What Difference Does It Make Podcast. All together. What Difference Does It Make Podcast.com. <laughs> we have a newsletter. It comes out every month. No big whoop. Sign up. It's fun. It yep. is fun. It's, it's a big a, whoop for us. Okay. So check it out. Subscribe. Check it out. So we're doing like a whole thing. This is 1987. We're looking at songs that started at 106.7, going all the way to number one. This week, we're looking at songs number 100 to 91 that K-Rock played back in 1987. And you are on the What Difference Does It Make podcast with Karen Glauber. Hello. She's there. Let's get to your musical journey, as we like to call it here. I mean, I started in college radio, like a lot of people. And and what college was that? That's a Oberlin. Oberlin. Okay, you know, right in Ohio. And so, in Ohio. tell me about the Oberlin College Radio Station and how you got well, in. We took it from ten watts to four hundred and forty, so that was a big deal. It was a really big deal back then. You know, it was just a bunch of nerds hanging out. That's pretty much what it was. And I think there's a whole generation, you know, I kind of call it generation big star where like we first heard big star and we all became deeply influenced by it. Like every band that sounded like big star, we got to be friends with big star. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like that. And back in that day, so we're talking 79 to I left in 84, early 84, I got to be friends with R.E.M. back then and the replacements and all those bands. They stayed with me. I booked their shows, the Violent Femmes, et cetera. So it was just a college radio meant something then. Were you booking shows at Oberlin at that time? Um, In Cleveland. Okay. There's a venue in Cleveland I worked with. There was some in Oberlin, yeah. But I brought the Violent Femmes first ever out of Milwaukee and New York show. It was in beautiful Cleveland. Is that where you grew up? You grew up in Ohio? I grew up in Pennsylvania. Okay. And so what, what were you listening to in, in Pennsylvania? What was your station there? 
there was an AM version of KSAN in San Francisco called WSAN, and Mark Goodman has told me that he used to work there, and it's a progressive AM station in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Amazing. So a lot of Todd Rundgren, a lot of Todd. <laughs> what was the entry song for Todd Rundgren? What was the song you heard, like, this is my guy? I don't think there was an entry song. I think it was the Back to the Bars live album that a friend of mine had that kind of helped me. And I was always a big Springsteen person. You can't live in that part of the country and not be a huge Springsteen person. That was from the first record on. And same with Billy Joel. You have to, you know, I mean, every kid listened to Bill. It was just how it was. And then, uh, you know, it just all kinds of music. I mean, I loved Prague. I loved all kinds of stuff. I loved Genesis. I loved all that. <laughs> Give me a complicated time signature and I'm just as happy as a clam. <laughs> Still to this day? Yes. Give me something at 13, eight, count it off. And I'm just couldn't be happier. Cannot dance to it ever. <laughs> Do you play? Not well. <laughs> Which is not for, that was just to get, that was so I could get out of gym class. Well, very, okay. So that, okay. So you go Pennsylvania to Ohio. Right. And you graduate, uh, you know, you, you, were you, I were you a music director? I don't graduate. Okay. Were you a music director there? I was. Okay. And I had the choice of taking my economics final or going to Bloomington, Indiana to see REM and Let's Active. And I chose to do that. <laughs> and never looked back? I never looked back. Did you go directly to radio after? I was a college rep at A&M and there were a whole bunch of us and I convinced my boss to fire the everybody else and just move me to New York and have me do it. And he agreed. And that was that. Is that what they teach you at Oberlin? They the liberal arts encouraging let's, you to, you know, pursue your Let's cut your the interests. Let's cut the fat. I'm ready to go. Let's let's do this. I always had an angle, you know? You always <laughs> have to have an angle. So then you went, you went to New York and where was the, went to New York, I had a choice of working for IRS or A&M, but IRS had Boingo Boingo and I couldn't stand them. So I went to work at A&M. So you had to grow up in LA to appreciate Oingo Boingo. Yeah. Yeah. So we've learned, we grew up on K-Rock with Oingo Boingo. So it was because of Oingo Boingo that you made, well, actually, I mean, it ended up being a great choice, but where was A&M in New York at, at that time? 57th in Madison. So was, oh. yeah, the, yeah. In the Fuller building. 34th floor. All right. So you're 21 years old. You're, you're living the life at the, in Manhattan. Were you living in Manhattan at the time too? Hoboken. Oh, in Hoboken. Oh, okay. There's a club called Maxwell. Yes. So I go there every single night. And that's why I wanted to live in Hoboken. Well, you know, it's good enough for Sinatra. Why not you? Yeah. I actually lived above where his mother performed illegal abortions. <laughs> In uh, beautiful Hoboken on Fourth Street. How do you hear that story? How's that? Get... Just, like, it's probably on a plaque legend. on the wall. <laughs> it's urban legend. You just hear things from like the neighbors and stuff. <laughs> All right, and you choose to still believe that. I, I mean, I'm, there's no reason not to. I wasn't do... hanging. Out. I don't know. I was never in the basement. I don't know, but I lived in the in the building. So and it's a good story to tell. Like that. That deserves acknowledgement. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So living the life in Hoboken and you're taking yeah. the, uh, the Jersey transit, uh, into the city yeah, train into the city. Yep. Nice. So you were a college rep. So you were, what were the bands you were working at that time? Yeah. So the first band that the Hoodoo Guru's first album and A&M had signed the dream syndicate. So that was after days of wine and roses it was called the medicine show. And they had REM because A&M distributed IRS. So we had REM and we had OMD and New Order and then Simple Minds, which was a really big deal for me. Huge band for me. Even at the at the start, you're like Jim Kerr. Yeah, we a, started with Sparkle in the Rain was the first record I worked. But UB40, whom I loathed. Um, <laughs> Suzanne Vega, who I still, you know, if I see her around, it's always nice. I used to do her interviews for her because I could do a decent enough Suzanne Vega impression. And we look enough alike. Hold on a second. Wait. A, <laughs> wow. You took like a, you took phoners as Suzanne Vega? Well, Simple Minds taught me how to do that because Jim Kerr's manager would do his international phoners for him. So, yeah, I did a few. 
Yeah, just, there's like trade secrets. They have to be. Wasn't that, you know, not that hard. There's stupid college kids. What do they know? These these kids don't Whatever. Know. <laughs> Whatever. So you were in New York for how long then? Three years. Three years. Okay. And then I moved to LA in 87. Willingly? My boss was going over to Virgin Records, was starting, and I didn't want anyone to take his job, so I took his job. I wanted his job. I didn't want to move to LA at all. Yeah. It was a very traumatic time to move to LA. It was the whole thing was traumatizing. So I did not enjoy it. This was, yeah, so okay, 80, yeah, so 87. January 1st, 1987. I mean, once you got to LA and you walked onto A&M, the campus there, didn't you feel like, oh, okay, this is, I've, I've made it, this is, this is my life now? Well, it was a tough time for me to be in LA, leave everyone in New York, and then a month later, February, my, in fact, next week, in fact, my twin sister got married to someone who was working at Homestead Records, which later, and then went to CMJ. And my dad had a heart attack and dropped dead at the wedding. So I'm in LA without untethered. It was a, a difficult time to be there. And David Anderley, who ran A&R at A&M, his office was across the lot for me kind of like sort of I could I was upstairs and he was upstairs so every day I'd go over and just lay down on the couch and bitch about being in LA he was a godsend to me he was lovely so you're Lucy Van Pelt this five cents kind of like my doctor is in here's five cents yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> always thought I've always identified with Lucy Van Pelt as like the historical figure I most resemble <laughs> so how long did you last I was there for until AM got sold to Polygram and they want, I had that time I had a very big department of people working for me and they wanted to take my department and move it into distribution. And I had an awful boss. I had a lot of bosses. I had 17 different bosses during my time there. And this one was absolutely awful. And I really had no choice except to leave. What was your title at that time? Director of New Music Marketing. Okay. Yeah. You've always been the one carrying the torch. It was like, yeah. these, these are, these are the baby bands. These are the bands that I love. And I mean, I've been going to K-Rock since it was in Pasadena. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing bands there. So yeah, long, long, long history. <laughs> well, it was in, yeah, in 87, they moved into the Burbank studios. Into where Daltz was downstairs. Right, right, right. Yeah. Is that where, <laughs> yes. is that where you took all your the no, bands? We used to, when Larry was the music director. And we used to take him to the smokehouse. Oh, I was just there recently. It's it's still lovely. Been there since I've only been there with Larry. <laughs> it was kind of gross. Um, it, it still it still has that ambiance though. I still I you can kind of get into it. Would fall into the food. It was just a bad. It was just it was not what I was ready for. Just old school. Like going to ninety one X in in Mexico. You know, way back when when you bring artists, it's just what you did. Uh, yeah, tell me about, okay, because, yeah, Halloran was telling us a little bit about getting, you know, working out there. I could imagine without GPS or anything, trying to find this station. How did you find the place, find this place the in Tijuana? The Thomas Brothers got mad. The Thomas Guide, of course. <laughs> you're a Thomas Guide, exactly. And then it just keeps going south and you're just like, it just, you figure out, you write down your way and you go. And you hope to not get stuck at the border. It was a little easier back then. Still time consuming, but easier than it is now. And, and, yeah. the, and these bands trusted you. They have you're like, yeah, I know where I'm doing. Were you I confident? Don't think they had a choice. Right. Nobody else was taking them south of the border. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, nobody else cared. It's so sketchy. But Dave, you want to ask any replacement stories? No, <laughs> we talked with uh, Jesperson, so we've got a. Oh, good. I, I, yeah, I like we, Jesperson. He's he the best. When I had a really bad New Year's Eve in Minneapolis once, and he was working at the replacements, and I was sort of dating someone that worked at the label who pretty much ignored me. And it was New Year's Eve, and the band's playing. It was the replacements were headlining, but it was safety last. There's just like a the suburb. No, the suburbs were headlining. Um, they're like four bands at a Hyatt in down. It was like the worst New Year's Eve of my life. And I just couldn't wait to leave. 
New Year's Day, I did. Called my dad. I said, get me a ticket out of here. I'm going home. But I spent a lot of time with her. I spent a lot of time with the replacements. They used to stay with me in Oberlin, and I'd book gigs for them in Detroit or whatever. So, yeah, they used to stay, spend lots and lots of time at my house and use it sort of as a vantage point to tour the rest of the Midwest. Was this in Cleveland or was o- or Oberlin? Oberlin. What, what city is Oberlin in there? Oberlin. Is <laughs> 35 <laughs> miles southwest of Cleveland. Okay. Uh, well, I, that's it's still, a college town. Yeah, I know. That's that's all I know about Oberlin. You know, Oberlin is just a college. liberal arts co- college town. And yeah. Yeah. But they used to stay with me for weeks at a time. And I would ground Tommy and I would do it like whatever. All right. So they could tolerate the, the replacement's antics. I had an off-campus house, thank God. I think my roommates could tolerate them. Cup <laughs> of legend later, but yeah, I think they tolerated it. You know, Chris would be in a corner, like staring at the corner, drawing, ignoring everyone. Everybody had their Bob was Bob, you know. And Tommy, Tommy's 16 at the time or whatever, right? He was, he was like 12 or 13. Oh, so this was, yeah, this was even like early 80s. This before, sorry, Ma. It's uh, right, sorry, Ma, I forgot to take out the trash yeah. around that time. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you recognize the Paul Westerberg's gift? Like, even though it was like this. Everybody, I used the best. I mean, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah. Love the replacements. Yeah. You, we did A&M. And then when you want to leave, what are your options? What's, uh, what happens then? Um, Hits. John Lachey had my job at Hits. He was going to Electra. So I went, I was like, I can spend a year at Hits. And that was 34 years ago, 35 years. It's been a long time. And, and you basically did the same thing as what you did as an intern. Like, you know what? Oh, I should be the president. Let me. <laughs> I didn't say that. I did. They they made me president. I'm like, really? <laughs> they said, we're not going to pay you any more money. I said, okay, fine. But all right, here we go. But they refer to you as Miss President, right? Hardly. <laughs> what? It's been a great place to work. I can't imagine employing me. <laughs> Just can't. 24 so. years. That is a long time. Right. Yeah. Like at 25 did years, did they give give you a gold watch or something? Yeah, nothing. 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 Ice in winter. I get to keep my job. That's you know, you I, know what? I, that's right. I mean, there's billboard and there's hits and that's, you guys are the sole survivors. Yeah. I mean. What is this? What is your secret? How do you keep this thing afloat? Not me. It's my bosses. They're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. They're just absolutely the best of what they do. Oh, that's good to hear. Okay. Oh, they're amazing. I provide a little bit of cred here and there and a little bit of, I'm the one that likes talking to artists, but they're the money makers. They're amazing. Okay. I'm very grateful to them. So you're president, yeah. but there's two. So yeah, we all there's have two to, of them. And then we all serve somebody. So who do you, so who do you serve? Who are these, these, uh, these people you could name? <laughs> Lenny Beer and Dennis Laventhal. There you go. Okay. And I think the, the absolutely the world of both of them. Just give a shout out to them. Okay, nice. I, I just do. I just, I'm very grateful because a lot of people are losing their jobs or whatever. To have a job as long as I've had has been very lucky Been really good. And to, to be able to say that about people you work for, that is so, so rare nowadays. To work for people who are smarter than I am is, it's a gift because it pushes you. It elevates your own game for sure. We have reached the moment where we will look at the songs that K-Rock played back in 1987. But first, you got to sit through this. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast with our guest, Karen Glauber of Hits Magazine. Should we move along to K-Rock? We're going to go through this 10-song chunk of songs and just give us your no-holds-barred opinion. It's 1987. We're counting down 106.7 to number one, and we're doing it 10 songs at a time. You get 100 to 91. Are you ready? Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Okay. <laughs> ah, there's some good ones. First, we go to Private Domain. Don't need that much. You ask me why I have this smile on my face When I'm only holding pocket change All my old friends, they look down on me I refuse to act that way They take life so seriously Oh, that's one thing that I just don't believe Like we're all horses that a sweepstakes race nothing to do with that band i know <laughs> nothing about them when you sent it to me it's the first i'd heard of it okay really no that's plenty it <laughs> sounds like every late 80s thing it was fine i don't remember anything about it are you a reggae music fan oh clear, no. clearly you're not because you, yeah you mentioned uh, ub40 that's uh, well, i hate them as people um not just musically i just i'm not a fan it is my like you think about what are the worst concerts you can go to? For me, anything reggae, sun, splash, anything, just forget. Forget, we'll never go, hate it. It's either that or sting. Reggae, sun, splash, or sting. Those are like the two that come down to like the battle for me. <laughs> I can't do anything reggae. Well, sting is an A&M artist. You had to work this guy. I did. And we used to get to fights all the time. 
<laughs> because of ego issues? He would come into my office. I'd be playing. I was trying to sign the replacements before they signed Warner's. So I'd be playing demos or whatever. And he'd come into my office. He'd be like, what's this? And I'm like, they're good. And it was when Dream of the Blue Turtles was out. It was, I just found him deeply annoying. did not like him. He did not like me. Uh, and that's how it always went. Like they were, he was playing at Radio City like multiple nights and I'd stand out front and scalp tickets. I was just, <laughs> I didn't care. I hated him. Were um, you a, a fan of the police? Yeah, they were fine. They're okay. <laughs> Anything with a, with a okay. reggae beats. Or, yeah. What about Miles Copeland? What are your thoughts on him? I only met him a few times. Oh. I thought he was, he was great. I like characters. Yeah. I like her. I love them. I love characters. There aren't enough of them right now, but in that era of AM, there are all kinds of wacky people that would be in and out, and they were just, it was just great. Yeah. So nothing, nothing to say about private domain. It seemed like it was something for ninety one X to play, like a San Diego beat, like you're at the beach and you're listening to this, and like, yeah, everyone I, likes on the, the on the West Coast loves reggae in the summer. <laughs> all the dirty heads, all of them, all they all sprout up in the summer. All right. Number 99, The Cult, Little Devil. Great uh, song. Rick Rubin produced. Yeah. He lives around the block from me, and he and his wife walk their French bulldogs. And um, I talked to him a couple times because someone I used to work with is the Colts drum tech, so he's he'll be on the road with him. And I think Ian has very very strong opinions, and I think he's kind of, I mean, I just think it's awesome that he lives on my street. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> It's cool. I mean, and I recognized him. Like, I wouldn't have known otherwise, but I'm like, what? Well, there's Ian Asprey. First time I met him, I said, you can ever play L.A. And he said, only when they pay me enough to do it. So whatever offer was out there, it wasn't enough for him. So I give him a lot, you know, I, good for him. He knows yeah. his value and he knows what the brand, what his brand is. Now, did you like, this was kind of, you know, Rick kind of uh, adds a little power to this album. Did you like this pivot to a more aggressive yeah. sound? Yeah, I thought Sanctuary was, I mean, I thought this stuff was great. I never went to see them, but I thought theoretically it was great. <laughs> okay. Did you watch this video? He yeah. He looked like Michael Hutchins in this video. Yeah, he looked, he was, he had a look. Everybody, yeah. everybody, everybody had their, had a look. I was trying to, th I was going to say how high was your hair, but it was, you've always had that same uh, look with your hair because you always post pictures on Facebook. You've had the cut. It works. Yeah, Anna Wintour copied me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you get your invite to uh, to the Met yet? Because I think that's... Uh, to the Met Gala. Somehow every year it just passes me no, by. No, haven't gotten any. All right. Pull some strings. Okay, number 98. Speaking of hair, we got the Bengals walking down your street. that song love them always love them yeah the first time i came to la i stayed at the bangles house on crescent heights where suzanne didn't live there but vicky and debbie and michael lived there and spock who is their manager was a friend of mine so i remember seeing them at the whiskey with uh red cross 84 ish oh okay the song hero takes a fall they wrote about Steve Wynn from the Dream Syndicate because his ego, he was, head was getting big after he signed to A&M and he's becoming somewhat insufferable. And I know that because he was living in my, on my futon then. 
<laughs> becoming completely insufferable. And that was written about him. You saw his documentary, didn't you? About Steve Wynn? I haven't seen it. Oh, you have not seen it? Uh, no interest in seeing that? The Dream Syndicate one? I would. I mean, I've stayed friends with him after years and years and years and years and years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They all eventually come down to earth, don't they? Mm-hmm. You like the, the Paisley Underground scene? Were you into like the three oh, o'clock? Yeah. I, I loved the three o'clock and all those bands. And I was good friends with, obviously, I worked with Dream Syndicate. They were on A&M. So even though the Long Riders were sort of an old country thing, I'm still friends with that. I'm just friend Rain Parade. I know all of those bands really well, including the three o'clock, et cetera. I know how much you love the Bengals. Does this song rank high for you? Not the highest, but it's a good one. It was fun to hear again. Mm-hmm. And I remember when it came out, you know, I love what they did with Jules Shear. If she knew what she wanted, I thought that was really great. I liked it kind of up to the flame. I never really liked the flame. I thought that was kind of a sellout song, but Susanna wrote a, she wrote a novel this year. That was pretty good. And, I remember her in the movie that her mother directed, which was a little embarrassing, but I almost nominated them this year for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they're, you need more Jewish girls in rock and roll. Just That's just kind of how I feel about it. I'm a, I'm a fan of Susanna's. I'm a fan of... I've seen Debbie and Vicky around a lot over the years. I think they're great. I saw the <laughs> Continental Drifters millions of times. Like It's a, it's a great collective. So uh, let's keep moving. Yes. Okay. So speaking of Rock Hall, Oasis is nominated, but don't you have to have the Smiths in there first before? No. I mean, no, it doesn't. I know Where it doesn't go chronological. I, no. Why aren't the Smiths in there? The Smiths are all right. anti-Semite. I can't. I'm talking about having more Jewish girls in and I'm going to be part of something that's going to nominate a raging anti-Semite. Okay. No, I, I know you have to separate the music from the politics. And I loved that first Smith's record so much. That was like the, one of the first CDs I ever bought. I don't know if you have to. I don't, I mean, I know you're probably supposed to, but I don't know. I don't know that I could. I can't listen to a Kanye record. Yeah. I can't. I just can't do it. I can't listen to something so misogynistic and so crass. And so I just can't do it. Yeah. Can you watch Annie Hall and enjoy that? A hundred percent. I have, you know, my feelings about <laughs> okay, so Woody Allen are completely, I don't want to get into the Woody Allen, Mia Farrow thing ever, but yes, I can. It's my favorite movie of all time. And yes, I can watch it. Okay. <laughs> and I think for me, anti-Semitism is just the worst that you can be. I don't know what Woody Allen's personal behavior is. I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. And if it was proven to be without a doubt, then I would, I would boycott. Yeah. I don't go see new Woody Allen movies. You I have, don't try to put money in his pocket. This new one, I think, is all in French. I think they, they were showing. <laughs> well, that'll be great. Yeah, it should be interesting. <laughs> this was uh, number 97. This is the Smiths Shoplifters of the World Unite. That era of the Smiths was great. What about- I remember the going to K-Rock and having just hundreds of people follow Morrissey to K-Rock. And there'd be crowds waiting for him. Because I have photos of like when Howie Klein would take him from the Warner lot over to K-Rock and how insane it would be. There are hundreds and hundreds of kids waiting for him. Or when he would do in-stores, that was the era of Depeche when there'd be just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of K-Rock listeners showing up for these things. It was great. Yeah. Johnny Marr's a, we love Johnny Marr, right? We love Johnny Marr. Okay. Should we, I mean, but that, that, does that penalize Johnny Marr by, by the actions of Morrissey? I don't think he cares. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I thought Johnny cared about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I just don't think he cares. Okay. I interviewed Morrissey for my college station yeah. when he played Dance at Terry and he had the mumps and canceled. Like I, I was sort of around that and I've been around Morrissey before and he and I had a lovely conversation about Tom Berlain. Like we've had conversations. Any shoplifting stories? Any good ones? I've never shoplifted. No. Oh, very nice. Um, <laughs> That's very impressive. Unbelievable. Come on. An album? Really? Like a 45 or something? Really? What was the first 45 you bought? Rock and Robin by the Jackson 5. Solid. Squeeze, number 96. I worked that record. Trust trust me. Trust me to open my mouth. Trust me to open my mouth. Now everybody knows. Trust me now I let you down. I'm a big mouth, I suppose. Song. Great song. Funny. But what about the video? What do you think? Well, of? Didn't care. Thought it was funny. I love Squeeze. I love, I mean, I adore them. I just always love them. Great band. Chris had terrible, terrible. He's afraid of flying. So like he had a nervous breakdown in the backseat of my rental car. So how do you settle a rock star when they... Little... He was in a fetal position and Glenn was calming him down. And I think they had some medication for him or something and i sent the person who's working for me into the airport with them to try to get him to get off at the time we had travel agents and stuff that would whisk you through i think we took care of that and got him through i love those guys he would they would not remember me in a million years i think you'd be surprised no they wouldn't trust me there's they wouldn't Okay. Well, okay. So you love Trust Me to Open My Mouth, but apparently the band does not. They haven't played this since 1988. Why not? Because people just scream for Tempted and and Black Coffee in Bed. You know, they scream for the same song. I mean, the set has not changed all the times I've seen them. It's the same set every time. Is that upsetting? You know, you want to hear the hits. You know, you want it to be like, you know, Todd Rundgren is is always messing up with... Todd Rundgren always opens with... Love of the common man. It's every single freaking show. It's just, <laughs> it's just the song he opens with. Right. But then he mi- he mixes it up a little bit. Yeah. 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 I like when bands can throw in a little, you know, something different. But yeah, it's a great, it's such a great song. I mean, Iggy does the same set every single time. That's right. He it's was, a- he was on A&M. You were- yeah, I had a good, I had a lot of fun with him. I bet. He was great. Was total sweetheart. Oh, I love hearing that. He was just a total sweetheart. I, I, I have so many stories. Of, like when my dad died at my twin sister's wedding, he sent flowers to the Orthodox Jewish cemetery, which you're not supposed to do. But it wasn't just like any flowers. It looked like it was a massive funeral. It mm. just looked like my dad had won the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> it was a massive funeral wreath, which you cannot send to a cemetery. And there's my grandmother throwing herself on top of the coffin and this big wreath from Jim. It's cool. A lot of people don't know that, and that is a nice thing to do. And it's kind of funny. But I'm still friends with the manager millions of years later with Henry, who was his tour manager then. But yeah, Iggy, every time I see Iggy, he's so kind and warm and will give me a big hug. And it's, I worked really hard for him. He was great. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I love hearing it. All right. We got to keep moving here. Number 95, Drama Rama, Anything, Anything. You ever heard of this song? Okay, what is it tonight? Give you anything you want. Hundred dollar bills. I'll give you 
don't hear it on K-Rock anymore. Yeah. They should play it. That was one of those songs when I first moved to L.A. and I heard it and I'm like, so it's 87. I thought it was the greatest thing I had ever heard. I didn't realize they were from Jersey and that it's kind of a replacement strip hall. But I thought it was just the most incredible song. It's still a great song. I still would get very happy if I heard that song. I'm going to K-Rock next week for a meeting. I should ask them why they don't play that. That song is just the best. Do you know know him? John John Easdale? Yeah, I've I've seen John Easdale. I'm part of this group called The Wild Honey. It's a group that raises money for autism charities. And Mm -hmm. a friend of mine puts on concerts every year. They did a lot of big star ones and different tributes to different bands and and John Easdale always comes in as a singer on a lot of them so it's kind of funny to see him but I don't know him well he really seems like a nice guy yeah and Chris Carter's around and he's great mm-hmm. does a lot of radio stuff for the Beatles but that song was epic that song was huge yeah. Still, yeah and he seems he he does seem very grateful for the success of that song outwardly grateful for the success of that song Great. I hope it, it's made him some money. I think it needs like a big soundtrack. You know what it needs? It needs like Stranger Things. That's fun. when we had him on the show, we mentioned that. Like you need a you need a Stranger Things moment. We need to find something for you. Totally. Like <laughs> Sophie Ellis Baxter and Murder on the Dance Floor. Mm-hmm. Yes. You mentioned K Rock. You're gonna visit them. What what are your thoughts on uh, K Rock in twenty twenty four? Fine. Just if they play your record, it goes well. Do you listen to, uh, as a listener? I do sometimes definitely listen because I want to see if they're playing my records. But they're, they're not adding much stuff now. No. And it's yeah. at 7 p.m. to midnight or, or morning where nobody's listening. The thing with radio now, it's very, very, very challenging to get a current song played in rotation during the day. That usually requires call out, which I don't understand. I'm not convinced of it. You know, how many Nirvana songs can you play? All of them. Yeah. So, what is essential now for for bands? They, I mean, besides radio airplay, and I mean, you're, are you pushing? Where do you push them? Beside, are you, is it just ex- exclusively radio, or are you sending it out to Spotify and you know? The, yeah, the streaming? I mean, Spotify is really important because yeah. radio doesn't want to respond to a song unless it's streaming. You know, and I think TikTok's still important for kids. Social media, unfortunately, is really important. I think a lot of bands don't want to do it. Biba Doobie, whom I work with, was always like, I hate TikTok. I'm not going to do TikTok. She started doing TikTok and she exploded. Became monstrously big from TikTok. Because she had the attitude, like, I don't really care. And I think kids, when they recognize things that are genuine... That helps a band's career. And plus, you know, right now there's a period of uh, music like the Sons of the Lumineers. Anything remotely Lumineers-like is doing well. So you've got Zach Bryan, you've got Noah Kahan, you've got all these bands. I just wish the Lumineers would make another record. I tell them that. Tell, yeah, I was about to say, you should tell them that. <laughs> I have. Okay. <laughs> hey, I got a good idea. Why don't you make another record? All right. Number 94. <laughs> Mick Jagger, throw away. Used to play the Casanova, smooth on the Casanova. Love to play the Romeo, but I never need a home to go to. I'm so crazy, I'm so slick. Leave no traces, I just get out quick. I use cheap champagne, free for fairs. You know what's funny about this? Every time he puts out a solo song or even the Rolling Stones song, they always decide to work it an alternative, and it's always a freaking disaster. <laughs> Because it's not alternative. It's a alternative adjacent. Right. That, and I'm sure whatever was going on then with Rick Carroll and, you know, I'm sure whatever he was getting Stones tickets, who knows? <laughs> there was some reason in his mind that he chose to play the song. It is crazy because, yeah, they did play 
you know, like Undercover of the Night and yeah. stuff like that from the 80s. They played they they played Stones from the 80s, which was like if there was something in it for them, they would play Stones now. They'd play something now. The Stones said, we're going to play a show at the Roxy. We want you to be the sponsoring station. We're going to give you all the tickets. They'd, they'd play it. Yeah. For them. Yeah. I would too. I'm not an idiot. Because <laughs> you need to create these moments. Great. I had yeah. the 1975 play, the Roxy for K-Rock. It was huge. Yeah. Didn't That's help cool. me get any airplay before 7 p.m., but. Yeah, I was about to say, how, how long did that last for you? Last as long as it needed to. Yeah. It just did. He's a personality. That, uh, Matt Healy. He's great. He's kind of, yeah, out, you know, like a big, big personality. That That's kind of, yeah, that, that's what big, we, big rock. I love him. He's a big rock star. We need more of those. Yeah. Like, you know, like a Mick Jagger. Did you see the hair? Did you see what's going on? With, what's <laughs> it's just like, it, it looked like it was a toupee almost. It was just so big and like, like Magnum PI type. That's that's what everyone looked like in eighty six. Look at I had shoulder pads. It was just a bad time for everybody. Hi, <laughs> Dave. If you remember during that time, Steve, my husband had a perm. Well, after the mullet, he had a perm. Wow. So yeah, that was the the time. We the late eighties were just a bad time, fashionably a terrible time for all of us. For Mick, it could have been a perm or a wig. Yeah, I've never seen him with such full hair. It was amazing. <laughs> All right. Uh, number 93, Talking Heads, Love for Sale. I was born in a house with a television on its own. Guess I grew up too fast. And I forgot my name. We're in citizen life and we need a time on our hands. So leave the Let's talk about sales. What is the number, the magic number? They were offered $80 million to do like a, to do a tour. And they're like, no. Yeah. They don't have to. They don't, right. Exactly. They don't have to, but would you go to a talking head show? Let's say they were playing. The best show I ever saw in my entire life was the Stop Making Sense Tour 1984 in Forest Hills in New York. I will never see a better show in my life. Mm. Would I like to see it again? A hundred percent. Is it going to happen? No. Yeah. I'd pay whatever it costs. No, I, I know. But, but by <laughs> 1984, you paid 20 bucks to see the greatest show of your life. Now, right. it, now it would, uh, you know, for most people, it would cost, you know, a hundred times more. Don't yeah. think they have any impetus to do it. From what I gather, Tina and Chris, I mean, I'm Facebook friends with Chris. He seems to live a lovely life with a view of the Long Island Sound or whatever he's got, he's got, he's very happy. Tina seems very happy. They do the Tom Tom Club stuff. David Burns got stuff on Broadway. I mean, if you saw, did you see his show Utopia? Oh, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Watched it. it was amazing. amazing. Right, right. Yeah. I saw it four times. I loved every second of it. I think David Burns kind of like Robert Plant. They're doing something new and they're, they're reinventing themselves every new project. They don't need to go look in the past. Yeah, I mean, is there too much money is for FU money? Like, is there a price? I don't believe they have a price. And now they've got this stuff coming out with Paramore and all these other bands covering the songs. I'm curious about it. Dave, did you get the feeling, we talked to Chris when he put out his, yeah, his book, put, did you get the feeling that they would do it if oh, David was on board? Oh, he would do it 100%. I follow him on Facebook as well. And like, you know, he... He, he, it seems have like a nice life. Yeah. No, they're living yeah. a great life. It's fine. I, I'm sure they would be happy to do, uh, you know, 20 dates uh, and, uh, you know, collect that check. But if it doesn't happen, so that's fine, I guess. You know, so be I it. think a happy. lot of people our age would be really, 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 really. That's the band that I'd want to see tour more than any other. Uh, yeah. That's the, like if any band could reunite for Coachella, that would be the uh, one. What about? Talking heads at the spear. How about that? 
Who would see that? I want to go to the spear because I hear it's very, like, really steep, and I get vertigo. I don't pardon the U2 reference, but <laughs> I think I would hate it. Just let him play, like, see him anywhere. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I also get vertigo, and I was standing on the floor, and I was afraid to look up, you know, because you can look all the way up. I did. It didn't affect me at all. It was not, I don't know why, but uh, standing on the floor was pretty cool. And I'm not a floor stander, but being able to see it all was very cool. I'd like to see the who there, like the who in their prime. That would be fun. We'd all like to see the who in their prime. Yeah, I saw the who in their prime. No, you didn't see him in 60. <laughs> no, but I didn't see them then, but I did see when Keith Moon was still alive. Oh, okay. Nice. So that what about first concert? What was that? Rock and Robin, first 45, first concert was? Neil Diamond at the Winter Garden Theater, home of cats. There you go. That was my first concert. Mm. Now and forever, Neil Diamond. <laughs> Love Neil Diamond. Yeah. I see him in the sphere. That was, yeah. <laughs> Unfor- yeah, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think so either, mm-hmm. but that would be fun. I've got a whole list of bands I want to see at Sphere. Um, all right. Number 92, Jesus and Mary Chain, Happy When It Rains. Great uh, song. Great song. Step back and watch the sweet thing breaking everything she sees. She can take my darkest feeling Get up come on money Put into her Concerts were like 20 minutes long. You'd go see them and they'd play for 20 minutes and that would be that. I love that. <laughs> play your hits and then get off the stage. That's what we got. It would be like enough. Those early tours were like 20 minutes, half hour. That's it. Yeah. Get in, get out. Well, yeah. that's what it was in the 60s. Like, you know, the Beatles would play. Was it Shea Stadium was like a half hour is what they played? Something like that? Wow. I like Jesus and Mary Chain. When they played Coachella a bunch of years ago, one of them was playing ping pong with himself. So he'd hit oh. it and then he'd run to the other side and try oh. to, it didn't, it was, what? <laughs> it was really fun to any, they were sharing like a backstage area with Interpol. And I just watched that. I just watched that for a while. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> like how messed up are you? If you think you can play ping pong with yourself, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. Cocaine is amazing, isn't it? Number 91. This is the last one for you. The Crusados, Bed of Lies. You love the Crusados. Love them. Yeah. Love the whole thing. I worked with Tito on a movie. This movie was a disaster. It was called Meet the Deedles. It was a Disney movie. And the music was done by Steve Bartek from Oingo Boingo, which is hilarious since I hated that band. (laughs) It all comes back to Boingo. Okay. Nice. Did an overnight shoot in Park City and there was a luau band and it was Steve and basically all of Boingo Boingo minus Danny, but with Tito instead. And Interesting, we huh? had a blast. We just had a really, really good time. I thought they were brilliant. I thought they were great. 
I love the plugs. I loved I loved Repo Man mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. I loved the whole thing. But yeah, no, I loved the Crusados. Yeah, this song was great. Yeah, it was kind really... of like a more punk rock mm-hmm. version of Los Lobos. I, I didn't realize it was him that was in that's in the movie True Stories. That's were you a fan of that film? Did you like? True oh Story? yeah, love that movie. Yeah. I mean, he was such a rock star. He was so he was so handsome and so he had swagger. Need more bands with swagger. Swagger like Mick Jagger. Yeah, exactly. It all comes back. <laughs> oingo Boingo, Mick Jagger. It's all that's that's Mick what Jagger. that's all we're looking for. Just more more of those guys or girls or whoever. I don't. It does not matter. Um, <laughs> well, congratulations, you did it. We yeah. did it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> you done did it. Anything else you want to uh, that you you want to mention? It's just interesting because that was the year of Echo and the Bunnymen and Depeche, and all those bands were so incredibly big. Not from '91 to '100, but there were some. It was really an epic time for music. It really was. Are you a fan of Depeche Mode? No, that's not your kind of music. No, no, because I'm a little too old. So I liked all the re. I was like. It was like, you know, like I had said, it was uh, the big star generation. So it was more American, more indie rock. How did you discover big star? Because of the replacements. That's how I discovered big star. I discovered Peter Buck guest DJed on my college radio show way back when. I got them a gig opening for Steve Forbert at the Cleveland Agora. And he was guest DJing and he brought a big star and that's how it came to be. And I happened to be in New York for new music seminar, one of those things. And I met Jody Stevens when I was a kid and we became friendly and we're still really, really good friends. And I knew Alex. I knew those guys really well. Yeah. He does the wild honey shows. Yeah. Yeah. Jody always does. Yeah. Those are always really wonderful. They're amazing. They're really amazing. So yeah. So that's how that came to be. This is wonderful, Karen. I, I thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to do it, for going oh, so late with us. You're, you're thank you so much. It's very nice to meet you. Really nice to meet you, too. Thanks, Karen. Anytime. Take care, guys. All right. Take care. So Karen knows people. Karen knows a lot of people. Yeah. She knows some of your favorite people. Yes. Well, it's always good to hear stories about your favorite artists and Karen has some favorites, some not so favorites, and she's not afraid to share those stories with us. So I thought it made for an interesting talk, don't you think? You think she was pretty clear that she doesn't like Oingo Boingo? I think it's still time. We can switch her. We're going to get her to an, uh, a reggae concert and we'll listen to some Oingo Boingo music. Maybe some G- Jimmy Buffett. I'm sure she loves Jimmy Buffett. So we'll, we'll do all that. Have a good time. How about Depeche Mode? You think you can get her to like Depeche Mode? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know there's still hope. No, that's, uh, that's what I love about music fans. They're, they know what they like. They know what they don't like. Uh, what they love, they're very passionate about. I have no problem with that. And Karen is very passionate about the music that she loves. She loves a lot of great music. And she's been responsible for getting a lot of that music on the radio. Yes, she has. And we're, we are happy to have her on the podcast and hearing some of the stories from back in the day, the replacement sleeping on her couch. And I was glad to hear her stories here from Karen and her long and storied career. Well, we've got a long and storied podcast here. It's called What Difference Does It Make? You should subscribe to it as soon as possible. Uh, We have new episodes every Friday, so please check those out. Where else can they check out our podcast? Find us on social media at WDDIM Podcast and on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. Okay, so next week we go to uh, songs 90 to 81. Who's going to be with us? I don't know. We'll find out. Ah, uh, it's a secret. It's all, it's all. Come back next Friday and listen. It's all a secret. So yeah, so a lot of fun learning about what was uh, just remembering songs that happened b- way back in 1987. So if you enjoyed, please subscribe. Leave a review. Five stars. No big whoop. <laughs> Someone it's once said. It's a big said, whoop to us. It's a big whoop. Okay, big whoop. Do it. We would greatly appreciate that. We'll see you next week. Until then, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 